Welcome, everyone, to the A Better Way to a Podcast. We are your hosts, Andrew and Jordan. I'm Jordan. He's Andrew. And <laughs> today, we're here with Annette Evans from On Her Own. Thank you for coming and joining us, Annette. I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad we finally got to this together. I know. I know. I met you at Woodland Brutality this year, thanks to Carl being super cool and introducing us. And you have a bunch of really cool stuff that you're part of on her own is, well, first of all, how did you start on your own? And I think we can probably get into what it does after that. So on her own is it came out of a realization that a lot of the self-defense industry, especially in the gun world, thinks about woman as somebody's apostrophe S. Right. You're, you're somebody's wife, you're somebody's daughter, you're somebody's girlfriend, you're somebody's mother. And that's your motivation for self-defense. I actually had a, a moment at a tactical conference, I think in 2019, 2019, 2018. And um, I'm sitting in a class, it was Tatiana Whitlock's class, and it was about concealed carry for women. And at some point she asked everybody to pull out their phone. And look at the photo on their phone. Like, this is why we do it. This is why we put all this effort into carrying a gun and doing all the things that we need to do in order to successfully defend ourselves. But the reason was, you know, the photo on the phone and everybody's, you know, got a picture of their kids and their family. And I'm like, I have a picture of my dearly departed cat. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just like. So who am I doing this for? Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if some of these women just like, you know, wanted to protect themselves because they deserve to be alive in public? For themselves. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's not a good thing to be mama bear. It's not a good thing to, you know, have that partnership with whoever your partner is and all that. It was just, I'm at this moment in my life where I'm like, I've got my dead cat on my phone. I am recently divorced. I'm estranged from my family and I'm like, but so on her own wanted to speak to that. And it wasn't just, you know, you're recently divorced and on her own is for that. It's like every woman to me has a moment in life when they don't have anybody. And it might be very, very temporary. You know, you're a housewife, but your husband has to go on that like once every three years business trip. Or you move out on your own. You're getting ready for college and you get your first apartment. Yeah, And you you move halfway across the country because that's where the job is or that's where the school is. And you can't call daddy anymore to fix your flat tire. Yeah, that's, you know, like there's all these moments and I'm like, so how do we do that when we don't have other people? We don't have what I would think of as traditional support structures. And on her own is all about that. And it starts with self-defense because that's kind of where that's where the heart is. You know, if I'm not alive, I can't do any of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I come out of the self-defense world. So this is sort of, you know, like my dissertation, you know, my doctoral thesis, my project. Right. uh, You know, how do we do all of this? Yeah. Comprehensive theory of surviving without support structure. Yeah. And it's, you know, self-defense, guns, pepper spray, all that, BJJ, it's all part of it. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this, none of this I can really do if I don't have a roof over my head. I don't have a job. I don't do all of that stuff. And then I'm like, it's not just survival. It's like all the other things. So I remember there was a time that I was on a, on a show and everybody's like, oh, we need to do our makeup for the show. And I'm like, I don't wear makeup. I don't know what to do about it. How? Nobody taught me this. 
Who do I go to? I don't have any, you know, girlfriends nearby who wear makeup. How do I do this? So on her own is all of that. That's awesome. That's really cool. And as a man, it's something that, you know, I don't really think about too often. And I constantly say I'm really happy to meet people who fulfill these niche needs in the gun community because no organization, whether it's the NRA, whether it's a better way to a, a small thing can fulfill the need of everybody in the gun community. And people finding your page and your space here is probably a huge resource to people who are in that situation. I mean, I'm looking at your website and some of these situations are things that I would have thought of, but a teenage girl just starting college, 20 something young woman moving out for her first time. But then I love the 50-something eternal bachelorette loving her independence. I mean, how does it feel to be somebody in a gun class and for the instructor to say, the, the thing on your phone is the reason you're doing this, completely negating the fact that you are a person, like you are deserving of protection. That's got to be something that, it's a lack of perspective. And, and I don't think it's necessarily the fault of the instructor for having that as a parent or a sister or a, or a wife, but, but that's very well, interesting. I, I think it's... It's actually a really wonderful thing. I had a student once, a firearm student, and she was terrified of shooting her gun. But she really, really wanted to learn because she wanted to protect her kid. Like, it was just vital for her to learn. She knew she needed this skill or she knew she wanted this skill, but she was just so scared of it. And I remember standing next to her on the range and having to tell her, hey, the they're coming to get your kid. They're coming to get your kid. What are you going to do? You need to shoot. You're coming to get your kid. And that is what got her to fire her first shots. And then that's beautiful and it's powerful. And I'm really glad that there's that, that emotion that we can tap into for some people. Yeah. It's just that I felt that that segment of the world was really, really well catered to in the firearms community and the self-defense community much less so than somebody who you need to whisper in the air, they're coming for you. Right. What are you going to do? Yeah. But there's some very patriarchal dynamics going on there, right? Like men often view themselves as protectors and men in power often view women as, as helpless. And so I think for, for a man who's teaching a woman to protect herself, I think he thinks it can be very helpful to give her that perspective of like, oh, you know, you're doing this to protect someone else, you know, not, not necessarily yourself. And I think that for a lot of guys that aren't, aren't real, you know, like, like woke or like gender aware, I think that that can seem like a really progressive and cool way to, to pose the, uh, the situation, but. It's great. It's empowering. And not, yeah. not in like in that like trite, I roll it sort of way. It really is empowering. You can protect your kids. Yeah. But, but I think like you said though, that, that there's something even more empowering in my opinion to be like, you know, yes, I can protect my kids, but I can also protect myself and I have to protect myself to protect my kids. Yeah. Yep. I've definitely seen that evolution where it starts with, I'm going to protect my kids and then I'm going to protect myself. So my kid has a mother to grow up with. Where it's difficult, I think, is I'm going to protect myself for me because I deserve to live sure. for myself, regardless of anybody else who may or may not depend on me. And maybe there's nobody who depends on me, but I still deserve to live. There's this kind of societal pressure on women who like choose to be independent, who don't marry, who don't have kids, who don't like build this traditional kind of nuclear family around themselves. 
that makes them often feel like they're worthless. And, and it seems like to me, I think this is a really important idea to push back on, to tell women, you know, you, you are important just because you are alive. Your own yep. person, regardless of who you have attached to you or don't have attached to you. Yep. And, you know, on her own really speaks to that. And the, hey, you know, even if you have others who are responsible for you, maybe you're not the responsibility of somebody else. You know, and that's yeah, okay, absolutely. too. And you can manage this. Like, you're pretty amazing. You you are going to take your kids out grocery shopping all by yourself and protect them all by yourself. And that's kind of fucking amazing. I love sorry, the positive affirmations here. aspect. Oh, yeah. That. You can say that. <laughs> you're going to do this. You're awesome. Like, that's that's. That's sick. If you're out all by yourself, you know, you're like 23, you just got out of college, you moved halfway across the country for your new job, and you're going to go do your thing. Like, cool. You can do that. And it doesn't matter that you don't have kids. It doesn't matter that you're only worried about who's going to feed your cat if you die. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, I mean, a reasonable concern, because I think about that all the time. I make sure my dogs have enough water in their bowl, because when I leave, I'm like, I... You know, I could <laughs> flip into the wilderness and nobody find me for, you know, whoever, however long. And you know, I want to make sure my dogs don't, my dogs have yeah. water. We've been trying to put together our last will and testament, my wife and I, and it's changed. You know, we started the process before we had kids and now our priorities are changing a little bit. But one of the biggest sticking points is finding somebody who's willing to take all of our dogs and like putting that in the will so they don't get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. That's like a real concern for us is if, if we die, obviously our you know, my toddler's not going to take care of the dogs, so we need to, like, figure out somebody who they can go to that's not going to just drop them off at the shelter. Yeah, for sure. I think people think of Last Will and Testament as they're going to be 90 years old when they die and everyone's going to be oh. an adult, but that's such an oversight because you never yeah. know when it's going to happen. Free advice. Put a transfer on death on all of your investment accounts. Include, you know, as many different situations as you can think of in your Last Will and Testament. You don't know you know, what's going to happen and when, and you definitely do not want your money, your possessions, your property tied up in probate court while everyone's grieving your death. Yeah, for sure. And here's my free advice. Do a living will and do a medical proxy. Because if you are injured to a point where you are unable to advocate for yourself, you will want somebody who can make those decisions for you while you're in that limbo state. And if you are one of these people who don't have the traditional support structures or you're, you know, you're separated but not divorced yet or you're estranged from your parents, get that straightened out. Because the last thing you really want to do is wake up in your hospital room and find out that the parents that you hate have been determining your care. Yeah. Or your ex-husband, your soon-to-be ex-husband or ex-wife is decided that they're not going to do anything. What's the yeah. term for the instructions you write down ahead of time? Is it like advanced directive? Is that, is advanced that directive, living will. There's there's a bunch of different ways to do it. A lot of states actually have a form that you, like, it's statutory. There's a form that you can fill out, and there's, like, checkboxes and circles and stuff like that. So it's actually not very complicated. Yeah. Yeah, definitely important. That, uh, yeah, especially conversations to have, though. Yeah. This is, this is something that I, I didn't think about this before, but this is a situation that's especially important for uh, trans people estranged from non-accepting parents. Because I, I have heard and, and read about situations where it's like, you know, a trans person ends up, you know, disabled or, or incapacitated and then ends up in the care of a doctor or in the care of their parents who don't, you know, respect their medical decisions and the way they want to live. Or let's say that you have a uh, same-gender partner 
and your parents don't accept them and try to keep them out and won't give them information, won't give them access to you while you're ill. These are all things that you could take care of ahead of time. Bam, look at that. We're back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Well, but, you know, and I I think that for a lot of people in vulnerable situations dealing with these, you know, because these kinds of things have to do with structures of authority and, and the law. And I think that sometimes dealing with that and interfacing with that can be really either intimidating or infuriating for people that just don't respect authority that way. And I get that. I guess the last thing I want to say about it is that, you know, regardless of how you feel about the government or the state or, or whatever, you know, do, do think about this stuff ahead of time because it can really save you a headache down the road. Yeah. It's tough to talk about now, but it's tougher to talk about what it's actually an issue. Yeah. When you need it on your website, we're talking about sort of the totality of on her own. It seems like there's definitely a mission of self-defense, but it also seems like we're talking about just generally independence for women Not, you know, like independence in the way of like, you know, cutting off all ties from everyone around you, but independence in the way of like, I can be self-sufficient. I can navigate this world on my own. And I noticed on your website to that end, there's like topics like self-care and like finances. And that's just something that I don't typically see on the pages or in the blogosphere of like people talking about self-defense, you know, in, in the sort of like male dominated kind of way that it is. Do you think that that's because it's just like, is it less exciting? Do you think that you don't hear people talking about stuff like that? I think there's a ton of reasons for it. One of it is, you know, lanes are a thing. Time, time is a thing. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm an expert about any of this stuff. A lot of what I do is raise questions or give some very basic information. There's only so many hours in a day to cover this. There's so many topics that I've just barely skimmed on that I've never really dug deep into. And I imagine it's even more true for other people. And yeah, it's not very exciting. You know, everybody, when we go to gun classes, we want to go to like fantasy camp, right? Like we've got this like vision of a bad guy that we're going to learn how to stop. And it's frankly not very sexy to think about, well, the bad guy is actually your partner. Or it's not very sexy to think about, well, the real thing I need to do to, you know, not worry about home invasions is move. And by move, we mean I need to, you know, get a better job. I need to save some money. I need to figure out how to get a new apartment or a new house. Like, that's not very sexy as home defense goes. You know, we want to talk about hiding behind the bed with a shotgun to protect yourself from a home invader. We don't want to talk about renting a U-Haul truck and getting out of town. (laughs) Or being able to set that up and afford it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really neat that that you have that kind of aspect on there because I think if— somebody is in a position where they're thinking about self-defense for themselves, and they're probably in the same position to, to be curious about how to take care of a lot of that stuff also. They're, they're, they're not relying on, like you said, traditional support systems that so many people have available to them. When I think about, for instance, an abused partner, and what does it take for them to protect themselves from that? And sometimes it's escape, right? And escape is extremely dangerous from an abusive relationship, But what do you need to do that? You need money. Like, frankly, you need money. And you may have been in a situation where you have never earned money in your life. You've never had a job. You don't know how to manage money because your abusive partner is doing that. Yeah. They say money can't buy happiness, but it's the foundation. It's the foundation of getting out. Yeah. You probably need to know all of that just as much as you need to know the safety strategies of how do you get out physically safely. Yeah. Well, you need somewhere to land. And 
there's shelters and there's friends and things like that, but ultimately you need money to land somewhere permanently. And that's only going to be a temporary solution. If you don't have a fundamental understanding of, of the rest of it, then you're going to be in a tough spot. Yeah. I saw that you also do jujitsu. I do. I used to do, I did jujitsu for about six months. And as someone who got his ass kicked by women on the reg who were way more experienced than I was, how important do you think having a physical self-defense skill like that is for somebody who is concerned about their, their safety on top of owning a firearm? Because that, it's very humbling for a guy you know, it's in this patriarchal society to go into a, an environment. <laughs> and I mean, cause I remember the first time I had to roll with, with a girl, I was like, really? Like you want, I was uncomfortable because I was like, I'll go easy on you little lady. No, and then she just dude, fucking whoops you. I'm telling you, it is like, <laughs> sitting on you. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, you're put into positions that would make people who are not doing that blush. You know, like I had to explain to my wife, like, listen, like very close to, to women in, in this class and, and it's purely professional and, and educational. And cause I'm not turned on at all by this, dude, I, I'm sure I've eaten dudes ass sweat before. Yeah. Like, just, oh, yeah. like I'm sure it's, it's an entirely asexual ass whooping is what 100%. it is. hundred <laughs> percent. So it's really humbling when you meet a woman who can kill you. Like, really? (laughs) Who can kill you with your own arms. With your own, seriously. She can rip off your leg and kick your ass with it. But that's the thing, because I would say at the point that that was happening, and probably, I mean, because six months experience in jujitsu is really nothing compared to people who have been doing it for years. And that level of experience put me, who I would say is like a typical guy, at a serious disadvantage. So how important do you think having a skill like that on top of owning a firearm or on its own is to to a woman so first of all good job on doing six months of jiu-jitsu you know if i were queen of the world everybody who's interested in protecting themselves and being safe would do six months of jiu-jitsu you don't have to do more than that i think that's a great base because here's the thing it teaches you the physical skills you know you you learn some very basic jiu-jitsu and you're not completely lost now if somebody gets their hands on you But what I think it really does is it teaches you a little bit of resilience and it teaches you a little bit about what it's like to be in a bad position and survive it. And those are extraordinarily, extraordinarily important skills when it comes to self-defense. I have a theory that has been difficult to bear out by research, but I've been doing a lot of informal work that the majority of attacks on women, stranger attacks on women are hands-on. They involve somebody touching you. So like if you think about the the way a man gets mugged is somebody walks up to them and like maybe like sticks out a gun and goes, give me your wallet. And you think about the way a woman gets mugged or attacked, it tends to be more like a grab of the arm. Give me your wallet. Give me your money. So when when you think about how close crime happens to women, I'm talking purely about the stranger attack because domestic and acquaintance violence is a little bit different. The, The stranger attack, if it's going to be close like that, if you try to draw a gun, it is our gun, not your gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way you know, of putting it. And I point. stole that straight from, you know, Craig Douglas, ECQC, and a whole bunch of other folks. Is that the ShivWorks guy? Yeah, ShivWorks. So ECQC is his flagship class, Extreme Close Quarters Concepts. But if you try to draw a gun when somebody's within arm's reach of you, they're going after that gun. And maybe that's not such a good idea. 
So if that's the case, then maybe you should know a little something about managing that, right? Or what if they get to you before you get a chance to even reach for your gun? Or what if you're not carrying a gun for whatever reason? I'm pretty good at concealing a gun. I carry a gun most of the time when I'm in public, except when I'm going to like somewhere like the gym where I don't have somewhere to lock it up. But, you know, especially women's clothing, you might want to wear something where the gun just ain't going to work. And I'm speaking as somebody who put a gun under a bridesmaid's dress once. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm not saying, well, it's, it's very possible to hide a gun one and where you want to in a lot of outfits. But for whatever reason, you're not because that dress is just so amazing or you're going somewhere that doesn't allow it. You know, like if you're having a bad day and you're like, I'm a little bit, there's definitely times where I'm feeling a little murdery today. No, no, but just like, uh, (laughs) no, like I'm not focused, you know, I'm distracted. You know, there's, you could definitely make the case be like, okay, today's not the day to have a gun on me. Or it's like great reasons if you're going to go get drunk, you know, like if you're going to a bar to like have a long night, which, you know, like you could make the argument that like that's not a great plan for self-defense success in the first place. But yeah, it's still your right as a human being. Yeah. So, you know, you you think about layering your self-defense to account for the times when you don't carry a gun for whatever reason. And, you know, whatever. I don't care. Maybe you only own a full size gun and you need a little tiny subcompact to hide in that outfit. Cool. So, you know, pepper spray is cool. I love pepper spray. I'm a huge fan of pepper spray. But I've been in venues where I can't even have that. So what do you do? You know, having some form of hand-to-hand self-defense, you know, gives you another option. But again, I keep going back to doing something like jiu-jitsu for four or six months. I like to call it a college semester of jiu-jitsu. You're going to get really... I don't want to say really comfortable with being uncomfortable, but you're going to get exposed to being uncomfortable. And I bet now, Jordan, if somebody like tries to hold you down on the ground right now, you're not just going to be in this absolute state of, I've never seen this before. I've never experienced this before. I have no idea what to do. This is awful. Yeah. You're just going to go, this is awful. I'm going to bring my arms in here. I'm going to try to wiggle. You know, I'm going to try to move my hips out of the way. I'm going to try to turn towards them. And isn't that so much better? Yeah, well, I would definitely say that six months, while, like I said, it's eons, I forget what it's called, but it's that bell curve of learning where you're like, I don't know anything. And then you learn a little bit and you're like, oh man, this is awesome. And then you learn more and you're like, holy shit, I don't know anything. My instructor, Alberto Torres from Black Wolf Martial Arts in in Orange, Connecticut, shout out to you, would, like, we'd be in a situation where we would, there'd be an odd number of people in the class. So he would roll with the new guy. To, to give them the most and he wasn't like beating the shit out of you but yeah, just he was going experience. at a level higher than you were in order to make sure that you were getting the full the full dose and it definitely forces you to know the things not to do that are instinctual like i did not know that when somebody climbed on top of me my instincts were to get onto my stomach and push myself up off the ground because you're on the ground you want to get off the ground and you use your hands and your feet to do that but that's horrible for somebody who's trying to protect themselves from being choked out or anything like that. And little things like that. Yeah. (laughs) And once you get somebody pressing their knee into your chest once or twice, you learn that that's not good either. Or your, (laughs) your belly. Um, But yeah, that's it's yeah. Grabbing my collar and drilling his knee into my stomach. That's (laughs) I love you, Alberto. 
But <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely true. That I that I I still don't know shit, but I think it's it's more than like a, a layman. That's kind of what she's talking about, isn't yeah. it? Where it's like you know enough at that point where you can have the upper hand over you know a majority of people out there. Hopefully, who haven't done any martial arts. And, you know, if you're getting mugged by, like, a jiu-jitsu expert, like, good luck, dude. Like, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> that being said, so, though, you know, most people I've, I've learned who do jiu-jitsu more or less tend to have their shit together. Right, I, right. I so, like so you would kind of... Them mentally. Yeah, you would kind of doubt that... More or less. Somebody, like, a stranger assaulting you in public is somebody who has dedicated 15 years of his that life would be a to villain. a martial It wouldn't be a bad <laughs> Be a yeah. We can't save you from him anymore. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, guys. For that. Hey there, everybody. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you do like what we're about and want to support us, our Patreon is a fantastic way to do so. It allows us to improve the podcast in many ways and helps fund our alcoholic coffee beverage stash to assist on those late night recording sessions. Now, you may be thinking, this podcast has me absolutely smitten and I would love nothing more than to throw money at you. But what's in it for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you become a patron, you automatically get access to an exclusive collection of clips from the podcast not heard anywhere else. On top of that, we have a wide range of tiers available that will get you merch, discount codes, and even free gear delivered to you monthly. For any patrons currently listening to this, we are super thankful for your support and for keeping the dream alive that one day I will be able to meet Andrew and make sweet, sweet podcast magic with him in person. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash abetterway2a. In the episode notes for the podcast or on the link in our Instagram bio. All right, now that's all for that. Back to the show. Here's another little anecdote about how, like, four, six months of jujitsu. So I took my first Craig Douglas class with nothing, like, no background at all in hands on self defense. It was edge weapon overview. It was, you know, how to get to your knife when somebody is grabbing onto you, how to use a knife in self defense. And I like literally didn't know what an overhook or an underhook was. And if you're listening and you don't know, that's okay. Like, that's where I started. I knew nothing. I'd never watched UFC before. I had no idea. So I take this class and I get my shit pushed in. Right? Like, I'm like yeah, this hot shit. I, fucking, I love that term. Get my shit pushed in. I use that all the time. You know, I'm a good shooter. You know, I had like, you know, 10 years experience with a gun. And, you know, I'm a pretty good, you know, like I carry a gun. I'm feeling pretty. Yeah, there, there was nothing. I had nothing. And it wouldn't have mattered if I'd had a gun in that class, even though it was a knife class. Like, it was just awful. So I get to the end of the class, and I cry in the hot wash like I always do, you know, when we go around and talk about it. And Craig's like, and his AIs, Jeff Bluvman and Sean Luca are like, you know, there's this thing called jujitsu, and it would really help you. And a couple of months later, they helped me get started. I found the school where I train now, which is Precision Jiu-Jitsu in King of Prussia. And I started in June. And in October, I went back to Craig and I trained in his flagship class, ECQC. I had one stripe on my white belt at that point. So, you know, I'd been training pretty consistently June, July, August, September, beginning of October, four or five months. I did not get my shit pushed in. Yes. I wouldn't say it was pleasant because it's never pleasant to have people shooting Sims guns on you and, you know, crawling all over you and all that. But, you know, it wasn't that bad. That's awesome. It, it sucked, but it wasn't like this like desperate, I got my shit pushed in, I'm going to die. Yeah. It was more of a, well, I still might die, but he's going to regret his life decisions and I'm okay with sure. it. Sure. <laughs> I'm taking you with me. Well, but, but you know, okay, so, so let's, let's extrapolate on that because it's like, okay, you're in this class, right? And 
you know that the stakes are not life or death or prison or whatever. And the two of you are paired together and your mission is to try to pretend to kill each other or whatever it is. Okay, so so you're going to try to take it all the way in the class. But in the real world, if somebody's looking for a target to like assault for whatever reason, and I don't, I don't want to get too detailed about this because I don't want to have to do like content warnings, but if someone's trying to assault you and they're not expecting a fight, or if they are expecting a fight, they're expecting a certain level of resistance, right? But then you start pulling out some jujitsu moves and they may be unfamiliar. You know, there's a very good chance just based on what I know about it, that they're going to be like, holy shit, maybe this is not the situation I want to be in. And any that, resistance is usually better than no resistance at all. But the more effective your resistance, well, we're calling it more effective for a reason. Right, exactly. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it would behoove you to, you know, the general you, not not you, Annette, to think about it in that way that, that it's like you don't have to be a master. You know, literally like any level of familiarity that you can build up is is better than than being completely unfamiliar. Yeah. It's just a lot of it is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? So when we're uncomfortable, we tend to panic. We tend to, you know, our brains go nowhere useful. We're not, we we can't do anything. So the more we put ourselves in these uncomfortable positions and learn how to function in them, A, they become less uncomfortable in the future. You know, about the 18th time you got stuck under side control, it was no longer, well, fuck, what do I do with this now? Right. And you're not panicking. You're like you can breathe and you can like think a little bit about what I should do. Yeah. But if you don't have experience being uncomfortable, you're never going to be able to you're not going to like magically figure out what to do when you are feeling like you're getting smothered or you're getting attacked, you're getting punched in the face. You know, the first time you get punched in the face is really, really hard. The 10th time you get punched in the face, it's more annoying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like in a row or like in your life. In your life, your life. Tenth time in a row is a whole other problem. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's like wow, that didn't even hurt. You've got issues. Go see a doctor, please. (laughs) I think it says a lot about muscle memory, and and I think that's why it's super important for people to go out and get training, whether it be self defense, whether it be firearm specific training, because that ultimately will help you make better decisions when you are stressed and panicky and, and avoid panicking. And I, and I think that really speaks to that. You getting, knowing what to do in a specific physical encounter is super important, or at least having one step that you can take that might change your situation a little bit. You think about the first time that you drove in snow and ice. <laughs> yeah. I made the whoa, 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 noise like, uh, like spinning around in Mario Kart. What? Yeah. <laughs> and, what? And think about uh, the last time you drove in snow or ice. Did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Did not do the Mario Kart sound. No, that's no, you're just like God Mario Kart or Zoidberg. I don't know. Is this some kind of like northern joke that I'm too Texas to understand? Well, you don't have snow okay, and ice. So ice storm. <laughs> what is that? The first time you drove in an ice storm, and I know you guys have gotten those down. No, well, so that's that's a trick question because we don't drive in an ice storm. We shut down the entire city, (laughs) entire state, martial law. Yeah, it's all, they start airdropping supplies. How about this? The first time you drove in a really heavy rainstorm, you know, visibility out to like 10 feet kind of thing. Yeah. The first time you do it and you're making that Mario Kart sound, right? 
Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, what am I doing here? This is awful. This is terrible. What do I do? Ah. Yeah, when you realize you're going 70 miles an hour, but you only got about uh, two seconds of visibility. Yeah. So, and then like the, the last time you drove in that really awful rainstorm, you just let your foot off the gas. You maybe turn on your hazards. You know, it's, it's not as panic inducing because you've seen yeah. it before. Yeah. It's not the first time. Yeah. Hopefully you're not going the opposite route and blasting Freebird as you floor the gas pedal. <laughs> we did that once. It was really scary weather, but there was also indications that there could be like tornadoes. And so we were just like, I don't want to wait around. Like, I'm not going to, like, let's just get out of here. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> yeah. We, well, because it was like a rural road, like through like a wind farm or something. We're on our way to like Lubbock, Texas. You're driving. And it was like the place dead of night. Make wind. That's crazy. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> yeah, they were making one. That's why they were tornadoes. Oklahoma to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the only time I've like forwarded it through a storm though. Yeah, I feel that's appropriate. I think with a lot of these groups, yours included, mine, winning would essentially mean that we were rendered useless because it would be something that would be redundant. You know, women would know how to defend themselves. The gun community would be inclusive enough where you wouldn't need a better way to a things like that. Is there anything that society do you think could do to better support women in these types of situations who are independent or transitional in between these periods of their life so that these skills might just be more academic instead of practical? Man, that's a hard, I know. hard question. I know. Wow. So that, that's a hard one because ultimately, you know, a lot of the problems that I talk about aren't necessarily women's problems, right? That they're problems of like, how do you live in the world? And unless you expect the world to take care of you in every way, you're always going to need a little bit of this, right? And unless you have the, the perfect childhood, the perfect community, the perfect family, the perfect job, the perfect everything, then you're always going to need some of this, you know, like you're still going to need to figure out how to pay the rent. There's still going to be bad people in the world. You know, I would love it if we could say, Hey, there's a world where there's no, no bad people attacking you who are strangers. There are no abusive people in your life. There's no, that's, that's just never going to happen. It's a Barbie world. Right. We, We could hope we can dream, you know, and since that's not the case, you know, what could society do to help support the ability to live like that? Be kind. I love that. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Yeah, you never know what somebody's going through. You know, offer help when they need it. Don't be or a dick. at least don't hurt them when they don't. Yeah. Yeah, first do no harm. <laughs> first yeah. do no harm. I mean, if you're not going to lend me a helping hand, like if you're not going to stop and help me with that when I'm broken down on the side of the road with a flat tire, that's cool. Like, I don't need society to, like, everybody's going to stop and help me with my flat tire. But, you know, maybe try not to drive right next to my car. Give me a little bit of a berth. You know, that's cool. Don't close your eyes and plow into me while I'm trying to change my tire. Yeah, try not texting as you're going by me. (laughs) Or, you know, maybe all you can do or maybe all you have the capacity for is you call it in. Yeah. You call the local cops and be like, hey, you know, there's this girl broken down by the side of the road. I don't know what's going on, but you might want to go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would go a long way. I don't think people give others that kind of consideration in general. I would say that's something that we are, certainly it it is something that exists with a portion of the population, but I think by and large, we could do better with more of that. It's hard. 
saying I'm perfect at it. You know, I, I too roll my eyes when I'm, you know, in a restaurant with a loud screaming baby or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, maybe it's roll your eyes quietly at the loud screaming baby with, you know, the single mom and her three kids trying to have a meal. Maybe that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to glare at her. You don't have to yell at her. You don't have to like shoot daggers at that table. You can just roll your eyes and move on with your Take life. Take it out on your food. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn baby. That's why I have these steak giant is knives. delicious. This is like the one of the coolest knives I own. Oh, what? that's cool. I love that. That is a, it's a baby blue blade it's, and donut sprinkle donut sprinkled pink yeah rip. It, so do you so donut. so you use that on your food in restaurants like to I mean, startle I'm tempted. people i'm tempted <laughs> <laughs> go to a steak restaurant and be like no i got my own knife yeah <laughs> <laughs> that thing that's massive also i didn't realize how big yeah, that it's was an automatic kalashnikov wow the donut edition and this thing has recoil yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it trembles when it opens. That's awesome. <laughs> you go back to a restaurant and there's a sign that's like, no knives from outside to be used at tables, thank you. And you're like, wow, oh, I wonder why they put that sign there. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> Every rule is there because somebody did something they thought they were able to do. It's true. You're like, you didn't tell me I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, this isn't illegal. There's always a story. <laughs> so Annette, you, we were saying earlier that you, I met you from Carl and you've been doing stuff with Carl for a while now. It seems like content on, on YouTube years, and whatnot. Yeah. What are you guys working on that's coming out in the future? So when we were at Woodland Brutality, we did a and a and that I think is going to come out at the end of this month. And we talked about all sorts of stuff. We went all over the board. Yeah, don't give it and away. And then... I have a, we shot a video about concealment math. And you're like, what the hell is concealment math? Concealment math is this idea of like, how can I predict what kind of gun is going to conceal more easily on me, be more comfortable for me to carry? And Armed and Styled, Tessa has done some work there on, hey, you know, if you look at the length of the grip versus the distance between your hips, there's a percentage at which we can predict this is going to be a lot of work or going to be less work. So I have some theories about some other dimensions that are going to and, and other measurements that are going to go into how hard or easy it is for you to carry a gun. And I did a little video about that. And I believe that's going to be out next month. Awesome. And we are my debunking series of women's self-defense tools. That is not dead. I just need to get moving on that, frankly. I'm looking for volunteers who want to be tasered, by the way. Oh, I would love to help you with that. But I think I have something going on that day. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, washing my hair that day. Yeah, I think I'm I'm taking my monthly shower at that point uh, time. That's awesome. That's something that I feel like would be super beneficial knowing what kind of gun would have a better chance of fitting your body before you go into the gun store. That's huge. I mean, how many people have bought a gun thinking it was great only to realize ah this this is not this does not work for my body type. And yeah, just wait till we can submit uh, body scans to the AI and it tells us what gun to buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like in other, you know, a lot of people talk, I have big hands, I have little hands, and this is why I can shoot this gun or not that gun. It turns out, and uh, Claude Werner has done a lot of work on this, it's not just like the size of your hand. You're looking at things like the distance between the 
that ditch between your thumb and your forefinger and the end of your finger and the width of your palm and the length of your palm, that all goes into it. Yeah. So we might need AI or at least a better computer to tell us, you know, what gun is good for small hands. Like, what do you mean by small hands? Yeah. Do you have small fingers? Do you have a small, like, palm? Yeah. You skinny fingers that don't fully grasp the grip. I mean, that's, that makes sense. That's something that somebody with average sized hands, I guess I would never really spend too much time thinking about. Although I have shotguns that are too small for my hands before. Yeah, that is another problem. There's some techniques to work around it, but it is another problem. Yeah, I'm sure. So how long has On Her Own been around for? How long have you been doing this? Started right before the pandemic, unintentionally. <laughs> oh, so that must have been interesting. Yeah, we, we, we pivoted real quick into things like how do you deal with... Uh, mask mandates and germs and being isolated with staring at the same person, if you're lucky, staring at the same person for days and days and days on end. How do you not kill each other? Separate space. Very important. You started, okay, arguably at the worst time to start a business or, or anything, really. What kind of growth from people have you seen in that, in that time frame from people who have found you and kind of comments or anything that people have made regarding that? What's really fascinating for me is that I've been able to attract not just the people from the traditional gun self-defense community. There's a lot of that, of course, but people who aren't even really interested in guns at all. And On Her Own has, from day one, been very specific about guns are a way, but they are not the way. You know, we're, we're going to talk about guns because, like, I've been doing guns for a long time now. I love guns. I carry a gun. You know, it's clearly a thing. But we're not going to only talk about guns for self-defense. Right. And it's been really cool seeing that, that segment of growth. It's also been really, really neat. And I think a huge honor that a lot of dudes that I know, a lot of men, follow on her own. A, for themselves. They're like, hey, you know, I know you said this is for women, but it works for my life. But what's amazing to me is when they come to me and say, hey, I'm making sure that my wife, my daughters, my sister, the women in my life who are important to me, I'm sharing this with them because I think it's really, really important for them to know this. And I don't think there's a greater honor than for somebody to say, you are going to help keep my loved one safe. Yeah. For someone to realize that they don't have the perspective that you have or the experience that you have, and to say, like, I trust you to give my loved ones that input that they need. So that's been super, super cool for me. And, you know, they told me I had to pick a demographic when I uh, started on her own, which is why my demographic is women, which makes all my marketing friends go, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) But I love that this has really been something that's been a hit for men as well. And, you know, you're all welcome. Yeah, I think a lot of what I say is probably fairly gender neutral, even if it's framed in terms of what it is for women's safety. I think there's an earnestness to it. You know, you're talking about like, you know, your marketing friends kind of roll their eyes about it. And I think that there's definitely a lot of like marketing to women that is cynical or tone deaf or just like dishonest. But I think when you're earnest about it, because you're coming from a, a place of like shared experience, right? You know, other women have gone through this. Other people have gone through this. I did want to ask too, like, especially recently with the big boom and like specifically like trans woman, like anarchist socialist gun owners on Instagram and Twitter, <laughs> have you seen like an increase in interest from like trans women in your kind of like field? 
So I, I don't ask for demographic surveys of my followers. I, I don't know how many trans women or otherwise queer women are following me, but I've definitely noticed that there's universalized experiences here. And the fact that I try to, on her own, really tries very hard to be non-judgmental. Yeah, for sure. Right. I try super, super hard. One of my early articles, which I really need to dig out of the archives and repost, is about how to have casual sex safely. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. Because you know what? We do that. Like, we are in, this was a little awkward during the early days of the pandemic. But, you know, like, women <laughs> are on Tinder, too. Yeah. Or women just want to hook up with people, too. So how do you do that safely? And I actually was lucky enough to spend a couple hours on the phone with a sex worker, full-service awesome. sex worker. They were able to tell me all the things they did to ensure their safety when they were working with clients. And I'm like, who better to know how to stay safe when you're having sex with somebody you don't know? That's something that I had thought about in the past, but I really... I was never like a hookup guy and really I didn't start caring until I met my wife. So like, I never really had to come to terms with like, what do you, what do I do with my yeah. gun? Or like, can yeah, that's, I bring a gun? Like where, you know, then yeah, it's the completely dating, the, dating while you carry a gun is a whole other thing too. Yeah. I've been dating the same woman since high school. So before I could even own a gun. So I've never, I've never even interfaced with that in any, in any capacity. Does your wife know about that? About what? You've been dating some same person. <laughs> oh, so <suck> <laughs> <laughs> come on, you Andrew. You me up on that one. I'm God sorry. damn it! Walk right into it. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. yeah, she she's got some idea. Yeah, that's cool. but yeah. So that's just a wild thing for me to think about because I've thought about like you know dating is like a nightmare. It seems like period. And then I, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, it, it, it is and. You know, like trying to keep that mission of like, what, what do people actually face and what are the issues? You know, I can't speak to all of them. And hey, you know, if somebody's listening along and says, hey, I want a platform to talk about, you know, how to safely come out at work or how to safely navigate whatever as a trans woman. Let's talk, you know, reach out to me and we'll, we'll talk about that. And maybe I can give you a little platform for that. That's awesome. I think universally, it sounds like you've got something here that is a benefit to women, or at least you're trying to, and it seems like you're succeeding, regardless of, of how they fit into that, whether it seems like it's not just a gun-owning women resource. It's a, you're a woman, and you at some point in your life, you've, you've got your independence and lack of support systems. Like It seems like somebody could just spend enough time around what you do in, in your website and get a pretty good grasp on how to manage that. I think everybody deserves to be safe. Absolutely. Some of us don't always make the smartest choices all the time, and that's okay. You know, like, if but you want to go and do things, like, you, you got to live, but you still deserve to be safe, and you deserve to be as safe as you can be within whatever your situation is. You know, I go back to how to be safe while having casual sex. There are a lot of people, especially in the gun community, say, well, that's, you just don't do that. Or how do you be safe when you're sexting somebody? You know, you want to send nudes to somebody. And like a lot of people would be like, well, I would never do that. Oh, so you never travel away from your spouse that you met in high school and have been with for 30 years. Like you never travel. You never want to send, you know, some cool, sexy pictures while you're away. You, You know, I think there's a lot of the gun community that goes like, just don't do that. 
I'm like, yeah, well, you're going to do that. So how do you be as safe as you can be right. in those circumstances? You're going to make a poor decision. Well, how do we make your poor decision better? That's such a conservative <laughs> response, isn't it? The, and it's like the, the, like the abstinence only sex education kind of, you know, like, oh, just don't go downtown ever. Like, well, don't, cool. you know, my like, favorite band is playing there and it's the only time they're going to be in town for the next five years. Is your life worth a concert? I mean, Shut up. have like, you seen some of these shows yeah, that right. I've seen? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's one of the things that I love about self-defense is the, this screen cap of a tweet keeps popping up and it really resonates with me because I've had that experience. Before I ever saw this tweet, I had this experience where somebody was like talking about, I can't remember the exact wording, but he's talking about picking up a hitchhiker which seems dangerous, but he's like, I'm able to do that and feel comfortable doing that because if he gets crazy, I've got a 45, you know, tucked under my leg. And like, to some people that sounds like weird and threatening, but like, there have definitely been situations, like the way he said it was very like machismo, right? There have definitely been situations where I would not have stopped and stepped out to help someone out if I didn't think I could handle myself if something went south. You know what I mean? And the first time this ever happened, I was with my wife coming back from a drive-in movie outside of like Phoenix. I'm pretty sure it was Phoenix. We stopped to get gas and there was a guy there. He got this like gallon milk jug of gas. And he's like, my car is right around the corner down the road. I didn't have a gas can. I need a ride. Like it was hard to like walk here. You know, can you just like help me out? And my wife and I were like, this seems like a trap. This seems sketchy. But, like, also the dude looked, like, really, like, sad and tired. And, yeah, and, and I had just, like, started carrying and get, taking some, some instruction. And I'm like, okay. And we kind of, like, shared the look, like, you know, okay. We got him in the car. He was in the front seat. I was driving, and my wife was in the back seat. Or maybe it was the other way around. I can't, I can't remember exactly. But, you know, we drove the direction that he said his car was. And sure enough, it was like a fucking, like, Cadillac down there. Uh, you know, it was like a nice car. You know, he had like driven it off the road and kind of up a little embankment on the side of the road. And I was like looking for places where people might like jump out. But, you know, the guy just like filled up his gas tank with a gallon of gas and then was like, thanks. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. You really saved me tonight. Drove it towards the gas station and that was it. And like nothing weird happened. Nothing bad happened. And I was like, I, you know, made that guy's night hopefully significantly better. And I would not have done that if I hadn't been carrying a gun. And so this isn't me saying like, you know, carry a gun so you can get yourself in weird, sketchy situations. Just saying that like, I think It allowed you to be kind. Right. I think that there's a net benefit to society sometimes when people are like, I will stick my neck out because I'm pretty sure that I I can protect it if something happens. Most people are good people. You know, we take calculated risks for that. And the other thing I think about a lot is something that Melody Lauer said a long time ago, and it's kind of made its way around is... You know, we do this to protect a life worth living. So, like, don't do all of this self-defense stuff and end up with a life that's not worth protecting. Yeah, definitely. Like, paranoid and isolated. Yeah, like, I think about, like, can you look yourself in the mirror the next morning? You know, people talk about, like, would you take out a, uh, a mass shooter? Would you rescue a kid who's being, you know, snatched from the street? Like, can you look at yourself the I next morning? So. And the answer can be No. You know, a lot of us hope so. A lot of us would absolutely step in it and some of us wouldn't. And that's okay. But can you look at yourself in the mirror the next morning and do that? And then do you have the skill set to support that? Yeah. You know, like how many times this summer already have we seen some guy, some woman jumps in after a drowning person? 
and drowns themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome that, you know, they wanted to go save somebody. So not awesome that they didn't have the skills to actually pull it off. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's actually a huge pet peeve of mine. Jordan knows that I'm always talking about learning to swim because you might need to, you might need to jump in and save somebody. That's why I carry or just keep yourself in my alive. car at all times. Like if you want to live around a river, learn to swim. Or if you spend your entire life living within walking distance to the beach, you should probably learn how to swim. <laughs> I wasn't going to rat you out, Jordan. Yeah, well, we all know you wanted to. <laughs> I thought about it, but I, I wasn't going to do it swim. this time. I just can't swim. I wouldn't jump in to save somebody who was drowning. <laughs> <laughs> If I was close enough to shore and they just needed like a push, you know, it's mainly it's <laughs> drowning mainly in the because shallows like, and you're like, just stand up. Worse than one person drowning is two people drowning. Like I, <laughs> I wouldn't. It's like it's like why they tell people against their best wishes, don't run into a burning building because you're more likely to end up the victim than the hero. You know, much like with dealing with a fire, you know, if you are jumping in after a, a drowning person. You could definitely make the argument that it's not sufficient to just know how to swim. You know, rescue is its own kind of set of capabilities, right? Yeah, especially when that person is panicking and trying to use you as a flotation right, device, exactly. pushing your head under the water. We get told so you like, could, when we rescue a person from an ice, like a frozen pond or something like that, if somebody is panicking and trying to grab us and force our head underwater, we can just let go. If we go under and we drown, then we can't rescue them. Yeah. But obviously you don't want them to go under the water, but you can use force to subdue a person. There's a Kevin Costner movie about the Coast Guard. It's like Kevin Costner and uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. And uh, there's a scene where somebody's like panicking in the water like that. And they, the, who, I can't remember which character it is. I think it's Kevin Costner. Just punches them in the face a bunch of times until they just stop moving. I don't, I wouldn't <laughs> use like that. That works. <laughs> It just like beats the shit out of them because that's, you know, I guess it's like in the calculus of that situation. That's better than them drowning. For sure. Well, but you definitely don't, <laughs> you don't want to do that unless you're like a qualified uh, expert. You're in like a four but, foot kid's pool and the kid's panicking and you just start beating just, the shit out of Stop, stop panicking. Yeah, don't do that. Don't hit kids. No, but I, I guess the analog here is it's like, okay, so like learning self-defense is more like learning how to swim so nobody has to jump in after you, right? Yes. Like, no one's asking you to be, like, world's best firearms hero, but try to keep yourself out of trouble, and I think on the whole, the world would be a better place. We usually have a tradition on this episode where I think we've only not done it once, but we end by asking our guest, who happens to be you in this case, if you had one piece of advice to give our listeners, it could be self-defense related, gun related, doesn't have to be related to any of that at all just something that might be a little nugget of advice to make their lives better, what would it be? I mean, I want to be flip and say wear sunscreen. That's good advice. People of a certain age will remember this. But if I had one piece of advice, it's memento mori. And memento mori means that uh, remember that you could die. So live your life without those regrets. So that if you die tomorrow, that you're not regretting it. I love that. My friend has that tattooed on his wrist, and ever since seeing it, I've wanted to copy it, but I can't copy one of my friends who I spend time with. Tattoo <laughs> yes, you on can. Yes, you guy. can. I can. I probably will one day. Just tell, like, tell him that I you're going to do it. Give him a heads up. Don't ask for permission, but just tell him you're going to do it. No, I wouldn't give him No, tell, tell him that it's it's from Annette. It's not about him. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of options for Memento Mori artwork, I know. though. 
So like, I actually, I have, I have Memento Mori tattoos too. And I actually have like this entire, like huge, almost back piece kind of thing. So that's fucking sick. Dude. Memento Mori is, uh, it's hard to do, but do what you can to make sure that you're going to leave this life without regrets. I think that's good advice. Hey, you're muted. You're fucking, you're fucking muted. <laughs> Well, on that note, <laughs> let's get out of here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. I think you add a lot to the gun community and to the community in general. And uh, I'm happy we could connect finally and, and get you on here. Thank you so very much. I'm honored to be on here. I am looking forward to seeing more with you guys. I can't wait till we could all hang out again. Andrew's going to be at the next Woodland Brutality. So if you happen it's to be true. at that one, I know you came to make contact. Or content contact, like like we're an alien race. I'll probably come down to the next one at least to make content. If any of you are going to be at the Liberal Gun Club's annual convention, I will be keynoting this year. Where is I that? just got a it's message in, uh, Las from Las Vegas in October. Ooh, sorry, I'm an interrupter. That's cool though. That's going to be awesome. That would be super neat. Maybe we can make the trip. Wait, when is it? It's October. I'd have to check the date. Uh, it's in like early mid October. We'll figure it out. We'll put it in the yeah. show notes. I'm gonna I'm gonna be in uh, mid October. I'm gonna be in Virginia for a wedding, so I don't know. Or is it next? Oh, year? it is. October. Well, you you don't your your travel to the wedding is not as extensive as mine, so you might still be able to swing both. But I'm not gonna go from Virginia to Vegas. Is Virginia like far from you? It's far from Vegas. <laughs> There's planes. <laughs> no, it's also, just I'm in like Texas mode where it's like. For me, if I was like in in like Connecticut, going to Virginia would be like a day trip, right? Virginia's but like, four hours. It's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> she left. Look what she she's, did. She's Look gonna come back, did. and we're just gonna say, "All right, bye." Yeah. <laughs> Getting good at reconnecting. I know. Yeah, so That's I'm so sorry good. that Jordan keeps running you off with his <laughs> shut up. Sorry. I was just gonna say what keeps happening is we say goodbye to our guests pretty much. We do the outro and everything, and then we start bullshitting about something else and keeping them here for much longer than intended. So I apologize. Thank you so much for being cool. Can't wait to see you again. <laughs> Likewise. And, and thank you for I'll... coming on the show. Thank you for having me. 